Hello and welcome to another episode of Discourses. With me today is Dr. Mary Bone. She is a trustee at Round Rock Independent School District in Texas, and she has been in uh, a few controversies lately, stuff that hasn't really captured the national media attention until very, very recently. Uh, I, I wrote a story about it for Chronicles. Christopher Rufo also wrote about it. Uh, that got picked up by Fox News. And, and finally, this is kind of like being brought to light. Uh, but before we get into this, the really wild stuff that's going on uh, down in Texas, Mary, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Um, I, so I, I really care about the, the school board issue and critical race theory and all that stuff because I, I'm a new dad. And so now it has an additional, like the stakes just got higher, right? Because if my kids go to a public school, uh, this is the stuff that they're going to be confronted with. And uh, it, it matters, obviously, this, this hits home. Like you, you care about your kids, you, you care about what these uh, administrators and educators are doing with them when you're not around. So this is a really important issue. Is that what motivated you to run for trustee? Yeah, absolutely. I think public education is extremely important, um, not just for my own children, but um, for our country. And I believe that, you know, every child has a right to a excellent public education. So that definitely was my motivation um, to run with my own background and my husband's background. You know, both came from public education, um, parents, you know, that were very poor, families that were poor, parents that didn't have um, college education. and we realized how important it was that we had a foundation, a very strong foundation from a good public school um, when we were growing up. So it's just something that I wanted to be a part of and, and guarantee that the future generations had a, a good education from the local public schools. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Talk, talk about your background a little bit, uh, your your educational background, and uh, and are you a Texas native? Sure. So I am not originally from Texas. My husband and I are both from Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, we both grew up in rural Missouri and we um, in different schools, but I grew up in a very small public school, but it was um, Title I is what they called it back then. That's so, you know, low economic. And, yeah. um, you know, one interesting thing is I had 12 people in my graduating class, so very tiny school, but I had the opportunity to go to college, something yeah. that my parents did not, and I was able to get an aerospace engineering degree. And that also, that's where I met my husband, um, similar background. And then he ended up also getting a master's actually at that same university. And then we graduated together and we went off into the, the world and started working in the engineering world. And we realized that the lifestyle difference that we were having compared to what our own parents that were able to have at our, our age or even at the age that they were at that time. Yeah. And during that time, I, have, I was able to go back and get a master's degree. And then I was later able to go get my PhD in systems engineering and just the opportunities that it has provided me and the opportunities that my husband has been provided, which has provided opportunities for our two girls. Um, it's just something that I want, you know, I want all students and all kids to be able to have those same opportunities, you know, whichever path they want to take, I want them to be able to do, you know, engineering or the fine arts or, or whatever they want yeah. to go into. So. Yeah, I think education's changed quite a bit since you went through uh, the ringer. Uh, I, th I think it's 
it's fair to say it's less focused on making people good at these um, good at their professions, their fields. It's more about giving people uh, a, a specific worldview and a set of political opinions, right? That that's really at the heart of a lot of this stuff. And so I, mean, I think that your story is remarkable. You you go from uh, this this basically a not the highest starting point, uh, and you end up where you are now, a PhD in a field I don't understand. Uh, I'm, I'm just a writer uh, because I'm <laughs> I don't nearly have the the same skill set or education that you do. So it's it's really really uh, remarkable story. And it, I mean, it, and you're right. This is a, this is what education is supposed to do, right? This is this is precisely uh, your kind of like the living, breathing example of the point of education uh, to give people a, a hand up or to help people help themselves by putting in the hard work. That's not really the case anymore. Uh, even in places like Texas, you, you're seeing the basically the, the political agenda of the of the progressive project start to kind of or for a long time, it has been infecting uh, what is going on. And so you run for trustee along with Danielle Weston, an, another uh, very nice Texas lady that I, I interviewed for my story. And uh, you two are basically just standing up for the interests of parents, even if that means rocking the boat in which your fellow trustees are in. Uh, and so uh, I think in April, you and some other parents tried to uh, get rid of the the uh, RRISD's mask mandate and, and kind of push back on the, the coronavirus measures that were being implemented because in your view, and I mean, for what it's worth, a lot of the science says this is true. Like it doesn't make sense to double mask really young kids and, and basically, you know, uh, quarantine, like put them in bubbles while they're in school. Is that right? Yeah, it's been one of the difficult things for me is that I have a PhD in, in engineering. Um, so lots of math, lots of science in my background. Um, also able to read really technical reports and understand them to uh, to a very in-depth knowledge. And um, I, being on the board, I read all these research, you know, I'm always trying to stay up on it, trying to do what's best, um, you know, for our community. And yeah. you're absolutely right. The reports I was reading was, you know, you know, nobody was able to prove, right? It's still, I don't know if it's still proven there. Are, you know, I'm now seeing that there's, you know, potentially chemicals in masks, which was actually one of my concerns. Um, mm. You know, wearing these things over your face and they're getting wet and they're not being, you know, worn the way they were made to be worn. They weren't made to be worn, you know, for eight hours a day and they weren't made to get wet and you weren't able to wear them. And um, yeah. We would hear all these. We would hear all these also stories from parents, which is, I think, one unique position that when you're on the board, you get just multiple parents that email you. Um, you know, we had parents that sent us pictures of you know their students and their face with outbreaks of you know bacterial infections around their mouth, and um, yeah. you know, and just stories, stories of parents that wanted their children to wear masks, but they had conditions where they absolutely just couldn't wear masks, and they were being um, what they felt like discriminated against. Um, for not wearing masks and being made fun of by other children and not being accepted. And, you know, we just heard story after story. And so, you know, we were like, you know, if, if some of the students don't want to wear masks, you know, why make them, right? Why are we forcing? Yeah. Um, because I don't think lots of people um, were under the impression just because most students were able to wear masks, but lots of people didn't really know that these kids were actually being forced to wear a mask. If they were not wearing a mask, they couldn't come to school. 
Um, yeah. You know, or they had to wear some kind of face shield. So, and some kids just can't, right? You know, um, you're a new dad, but you'll find out here in a few years that trying to put a mask on a five-year-old, you know, a kindergartner or a first grader coming to school, um, some of these kids just aren't going to wear masks. And I don't yeah. think people heard all the stories of, you know, the children that just couldn't wear masks. You know, we, we would get desperate pleas from parents. They're like, I want my, you know, we've tried with my, my kids to wear a mask and they just won't wear a mask. Um, and they were, you know, they were kind of at their wits end of what, what do I do? Um, my kid just wants to come to school and learn. And, you know, yeah. at that point, the rule was you don't wear a mask, you don't come to school. And um, I think Danielle and I both thought that was just a little too harsh and just to give people options. Um, and the board voted five, five to two to continue forcing masks uh, on kids at school. And in this article uh, published by the Texas Scorecard, they note that the Texas Education Agency actually recommends the opposite. So this is the school district kind of just throwing every, like all of the, I mean, this, these are the people that scream, trust the science, right? Uh, and they're really just kind of throwing it out the window and instead forcing the stuff on kids. And I think apart from the data and all, you know, like that you can point to, to make a, you know, a very strong case that this actually just doesn't even make sense based on what you claim to be is, is scientific integrity. Setting that aside, there's also the tremendous social cost of this, right? Kids growing up uh, thinking that it's normal to do this and, and what that means for one, how they learn to interact with each other, and two, the kind of, the kind of habits that you instill in them, that basically that it's normal to go along with these kind of arbitrary mandates. Yeah, there's. Go ahead. There, there's, there is this other side to it that, that you're bringing up here, and that's that you know we had teachers actually, so kindergarten, first, second grade, um, we had many teachers that were playing with us, asking us if we understood how students learned how to read, and and um, it's with their, they have to be able to see their mouth, they have to be able to see the teacher's mouth, mm -hmm. they have to be able, the teacher needs to be able to see their mouth, um, and they were explaining these things. I am not a a kindergarten, first or yeah. second grade teacher. So I don't understand this. Um, but we also had, um, you know, child psychiatrists emailing us. And along with that, again, I'm a researcher. So I go out and I start looking at the research. And yeah. prior to COVID, there was a lot of research that has been done on if, if humans, and especially young children, don't see facial expressions, it does impact um, their mental well-being. Yeah. So there, there are these concerns, right? I mean, we, we do have to admit that we're all kind of new at all of this and, and being applied to COVID, but um, these were definitely valid concerns before COVID. So obviously they're yeah. they still valid because we're all still human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, this, that's what I mean is we haven't really even begun to understand the ramifications of this, the long-term consequences of masking kids and basically instilling in them this fear of of their fellow like your your fellow classmate is someone that could potentially get you sick and kill you that's again we, we really haven't even uh it would be interesting to see in a few years if this actually affects things from from literacy to like social development uh i mean i say interesting but it's it's i mean it's, it's actually horrifying Right. So, we should be we should be worried about doing the least damage. Right. I mean, that's yeah. where um, I think Danielle and I are like, we've just got to think about when you have, you know, we have 46 over 46. We have over 47,000 students right now. And when you have 47,000 students, all their needs are different. Yeah. And so, you know, some students 
And it comes down to a mask. And, you know, like you said, having them believe that they are going to possibly actually hurt their, you know, another student or their teachers, um, you know, what does that do to their, you know, psychology, you know, to their mental health? Um, and we do know we are seeing yes, um, right. the, the mental health of students. And actually, I just wanted to bring that up because that's something that Danielle and I are now really trying to bring to the forefront is that the mental health of our students, um, we really need to understand that and think about it now in the education realm and understand what we did um, so we don't keep repeating these mistakes. Yeah, you're, you're already seeing a spike in adolescent suicide rates. Kids as young as 12, I think I've seen reports of kids as young as eight uh, attempt, attempting suicide. And, you know, it's explained away as a kind of, oh, it's a strange spike in, in these cases of really young kids trying to commit suicide. We don't really understand why it's happening. We know why it's happening. Uh, you, uh, this is at a really important phase in the lives of children. And when they live basically under a constant state of terror, that at any moment, you know, we could go through the lockdowns again, or just something could radically change and kind of uproot their life all over again, on top of just like the low intensity fear of, you know, getting classmates sick, getting teachers sick or whatever, or themselves getting sick. Uh, this is really messing with kids' uh, mental health, like you said. And it's funny because this, the, the, again, the, the people that are imposing these mandates, they're supposed to be the mental health crowd, right? They're supposed to be the the do no harm crowd, but they, they don't care. They, they absolutely don't care. And I think it's it's really important to note this, is that you're, as a trustee, you're talking to teachers uh, and, and child psychologists who are aligned with you, because I know that at the beginning of this, I, I kind of ragged on teachers a little bit, but there are plenty of teachers and, and basically child people that work with children in the school system who are actually in agreement with you, but the school boards in these places don't care. It, it seems to be like it's just about power or politics. Uh, you know, you can, I guess people can decide on their own. So, okay. Yeah, I do have to we, say though, that the confusing thing for all of us, especially in the positions we're in, is that for for all the teachers that are with us, there'll be teachers on the other side, um, or there'll be child psychologists that say the opposite. And I think that's been what's really confusing for you know all seven of us that are on the board is that you know you have somebody that says this or somebody that says that. And I think for me, you have to end up looking at your community. And I, you know, we do have students. I mean, I have kids. Danielle has kids, and you have to look and you have to say, you know in my community, what does it look like and what I'm seeing? And, you know, I have seen the mental health of my friends um, and their kids really impacted. And I yeah. have had friends that, you know, they needed their kids not to wear a mask. Their kids were begging them. Their kids were, you know, not wanting to go back to, to school. And I shared this in a board meeting, my own child, um, you know, she said if she had to wear a mask this year, she was not going back to school. And that wasn't, you know, that was not a passive um, conversation. That was a daily conversation leading up to the approaching school. Um, and when you have your students saying that, you know, it's like, well, I've got to look for other alternatives then. If this is a deal breaker, yeah. my child attending school is the mask, then, um, and that's what we were trying to stop is that we knew that, you know, this wasn't just my own child. This was other children. We were hearing it. We were seeing it. Yeah. We were living it. So, yeah. Yeah. There are consequences to not checking uh, this, this kind of, let's call it a regime. Um, and so, the next thing that happens is, or around the same time that you and Danielle are uh, trying to stand up for parents and, and trying to kind of 
uh, bring down the, 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 the level of, of arbitrariness when it comes to mandates and things like that. There's also these reports of uh, the superintendent of RRISD who is allegedly involved in, in some kind of, uh, of, of an, uh, an altercation. Uh, a, another parent named Jeremy Story at a school board meeting presents evidence that there has in fact been a kind of cover-up by the school board uh, to protect the superintendent. And so this stuff is kind of going on in the background. It's separate to what we're discussing, but it's happening in the background to you and Danielle, you know, uh, fighting against the mandates and things like that. Uh, but they're viewed as uh, Jeremy's story uh, as, as a kind of parent who's protesting into school board is viewed as kind of in your camp. Is that right? He's, he's like a supporter of you guys is, is how he's viewed in your community. Is that correct? That That is correct. Right. So, so that's happening. And then by September 20th, uh, the school board introduces res resolutions to censure you and, and Danielle to basically strip you of your powers and responsibilities. And this is kind of like the first shot from your fellow trustees against you and Danielle, where it seems like, okay, you've, you've basically pushed them a little bit too hard. So, uh, but the timing of that is really interesting because uh, two parents end up arrested by the RRISD's own school, uh, school police force. This is very, very, this was a very strange feature of the story to me because I've, I've heard of like school safety officers, but Round Rock has its own like full police department. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. That that's interesting in itself. It actually, we were, um, we would get our school resource officers with the city and the county. Um, and I believe it was in 2018. So it's been a few years ago now. Um, that relationship um, changed. And over time, it was kind of, in a way, forced upon the district to, to develop a, a police department. And actually, that police department just became kind of its own independent police department in June of this year. Where yeah, they actually I, go ahead. I was just going to say that that's where um, the county and the city were fully removed from the district, and it was just the district police. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of that before. Uh, but I, I should back up because there's an important aspect of of all this stuff, and that is uh, another parent named Dustin Clark. Uh, the Texas Scorecard reported that in September uh, he attended one of the school board meetings, and he he protested what he basically. There are allegations that the uh, that the school board refused to allow parents into a meeting where they were talking about uh, raising taxes in 2022, and that this parent, Dustin Clark, protested against it and said, like, you know, this 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 is completely unethical and, and probably illegal. Like, you're you're keeping parents out using the RRISD uh, police. Uh, you're you're not letting us have a say over whether or not you're going to raise our taxes, uh, and then. Shortly after that is actually when RRISD shows up at the homes of both Jeremy Story and Justin Clark uh, in the evening, almost simultaneously, and they're being accompanied by the local sheriff's department, and both Clark and Story end up in jail overnight. I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I've, I've tried to summarize all of these different things that are happening, uh, but the story is, I, I've never heard anything li like this. The, from from a school police department to school police officers coming to people's homes and arresting them. 
Yeah, sure. And I mean, I can only speak for myself. And I, I, I should have said that at the beginning that I don't I don't represent the board, even though I'm a trustee on it. Um, and obviously, we all have perspectives of, of how things happen and, and why they happen. And on on this subject, um, Jeremy's story, actually, you know, he was kind of leading the the charge, it seemed on, you know, he tried to raise some awareness on some allegations that was being uh, heard in the community. Um, and actually, I had been to, I actually was personally contacted by the victim even before uh, Jeremy's story brought those allegations forward. And um, there were some press releases that were released. Uh, Danielle and I put one out after, you know, there was some kind of miscommunication uh, and misinformation. And the board president and some of the other um, officers actually released information that we knew to be incorrect. Um, so we, we were all trying to figure out what was going on and, and Jeremy was kind of leading that front um, from the community. I think that's that was the perception at least. Yeah. Um, and then Dustin Clark, he has been, he was kind of seen as the community leader with uh, getting rid of masks in schools and you know leading that charge. And so they were both kind of, you know, they were kind of both seen as leaders, at least from my perspective on, on yeah. two topics in our district. Um, and on the September 16th, we did have a board meeting. That's a Thursday night. And uh, Daniel Wesson and I both got up and left that meeting. Um, I already kind of alluded to my background. I grew up a pretty poor kid. Um, some of our best friends are, are police officers. But when you grew up poor, you do have some interactions that, you know, it, it can be very scary. You understand that sometimes there are police officers that, you know, maybe they don't make the best decisions. And that yeah. evening um, was a pretty crazy evening in the boardroom. And I did, they let 18 people in a 375 person room. Um, it was unusual. I've, I was at almost every meeting. Sorry, and this, 18 out of, in a, in a room that's over 300 capacity? Yes, I, be, I believe the capacity on the wall is 375. I think the fire marshal is, is recalculating that or something right now. Um, but we had had hundreds of people, right. you know, I mean, it wasn't untypical that we could have probably fit 100 or 200 people in that room. Um, and in fact, in past, there had been at least 50 to 100 people in that room. Um, so to walk in and, and only see 18 chairs set up um, was very strange to me um, to see armed guards, you know, with, uh, you know, armed police officers standing at the door, not letting people. Um, and if people have been to any kind of government meeting, you'll see people coming in and out all the time. Um, in fact, the press is usually coming in and out and people you know, we're just freely to move about. And even the board, you know, uh, Danielle and I will even go out and talk to people and, you know, we'll go to the restroom, which is actually outside the door. Um, but to do so at this meeting, you were having to go back and forth with uh, armed police officers. There was uh, two children crying out in the hallway um, when I went out um, and they were not being let in. I think one of them ended up being let in. Um, it was very chaotic. It was something I didn't want to be a part of. Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know if it was breaking the law, if it was breaking what we call the Texas Open Meetings Act, which uh, requires that you let people into, uh, you know, your meetings full access. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I still don't know, you know, if it was breaking the law, but I was not yeah. comfortable. I wasn't comfortable with the way the police were acting that night. And so Danielle and I actually left. And uh, Jeremy Story actually, or uh, Dustin Clark was actually removed from that meeting later. Um, so I wasn't there when he was removed, but they were, they were actually passing the tax rate that evening. Um, so they were getting ready to talk about something as important as the, as the tax rate. So yeah. 
Yeah, and you're, it's totally understandable that you're careful about how you talk about this because, I mean, this is uncharted water, right? There are so many aspects of this story that to me are just shocking and new uh, from, because I, I think in the, that the, the, um, that the mandates actually played into the, the school's keeping the capacity down. Is that right? That for a while, I, I think that some kind of, um, I think Greg Abbott suspended basically the, the Open Meetings Act. Is that right? He, he allowed people to, to, I think, call in. Yeah, he and, did suspend parts of it until right. uh, September 1st, I believe, is when he right. released it. And we were all very fully aware of all of that, at least I was, and I, I know Trustee Weston was also. Yeah, but then it was unsuspended. And so but by the time that this meeting took place, there was no reason. In other words, you couldn't say, well, the reason that the, the room was kept at 18 people uh, was because of COVID or something like that. Uh, at, because at that point, uh, everything had more or less gone back to normal and there was really no justification for prohibiting parents from attending this meeting. Right. And if you go back to meetings that we'd had, we'd been having meetings. I mean, we were meeting fairly often at that point. And if you just go back to the meeting where Jeremy's story was um, taken out, and I believe that was um, late August, um, that meeting had many more seats in it um, and many more people. So, you know, this is a month later. Um, you know, I don't recall any kind of, you know, COVID wasn't going up or anything at that point, no. or, I mean, nothing had really changed dramatically. Right. Um, so we were, it was definitely unexpected. We hadn't been told, that was the other thing, the trustees hadn't been warned that there was going to be anything different in the boardroom. Um, so when I walked in and put my stuff down and saw 18 seats, it was definitely something that I was, I, I, I even went and asked. I went and asked, what are, what's going on? I asked the board president, why, why is there only 18 seats? Yeah. And so, then you and Weston just left because you weren't comfortable with the situation. Right. Yeah. Once we got started and nobody, um, you can actually, these, these meetings are all online. So it's interesting. So people can go back and watch them for themselves. But, you know, we just asked when the meeting gets started, we're like, you know, why are we doing this? We, we yeah. just asked for a point of order and we just asked, you know, can, can somebody explain what's going on here? And, um, and we asked where the policy was. You know, is there a policy? You know, are we following the law? Are we? And nobody could give, you know, a satisfactory answer for me. And I'm only one individual, but I have to do what I think is right. And, yeah. um, you know, when I asked questions and hearing that I there was an answer that was satisfactory to me, um, and I was very uncomfortable in the situation, you know, and so I had to remove myself. Right. Yeah, I don't blame you. So, and I I plan on actually talking to Clark and Story and, and getting their their uh version of this because they're they're the ones that were ended up they, they're the ones that end up arrested and they ended up spending an night over in jail i think at a time too where the william williamson county jail was actually not basically their incarceration was very unusual because from, from my understanding of reading the like the local papers in texas people were not in williamson county being jailed for like these really really low level offenses partly because of uh, this this initiative to um, reduce the spread of COVID in, in jails and prisons. So basically, we don't lock people up for low-level offenses because then you have more people in a confined space that can you know cause a flare-up or whatever. So it's very unusual that 
well, on the one hand, they, they were arrested at all. And two, that they were even kept in this jail. And then in the end, it's not even clear, like who was, who was ultimately responsible for the, for the arrests, whether it was the local sheriff's, uh, the Williamson Sheriff's Department, or if it was actually the, the RRISD school department, uh, a, a local affiliate had, had contacted the sheriff to ask them, well, like basically who was in charge of this operation? And I think the sheriff pointed to the, to the police department and the police department pointed to the sheriff. And it's just like, I mean, this, this is, I think this is a huge story, but there's no, not a whole lot of interest in getting to the bottom of it. Uh, and it doesn't, it's still, everything is so opaque about it. It's uh, again, it's really shocking. Uh, yeah. And that's what, team, and, and even as a board ahead. of trustees, we don't, um, the night that, that they were arrested, we didn't even know anything was happening. Um, and when they were arrested, we we assumed maybe it was something else, right? We, were, we, we didn't know why they were being arrested. Um, and even then, we do know, I mean, I, I can clarify a little bit, is that the, the Round Rock ISD, um, they are the ones that obviously had to put out the arrest warrants. Um, a judge has to sign those. Um, and then... Um, it was not Round Rock ISD, though. It was not the, the police officers that actually physically went to the house. It was the Williamson County Sheriff's Department that went to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are right. There's There's been no communication. Um, and honestly, we still don't, even as trustees, it's one point of contention. I mean, this is probably a whole different story, is that we have this ISD police department. Um, and even now, we're still trying to figure out, you know, how is this coordination done not just in the past, yeah. but how is this going to be done going forward? Um, you know, not just with parents, but with students. Um, so there, there's still yeah. a lot of learning to be done. Yeah, that's that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what what is the the like? What is the attitude and the response from the community to all of this? From the mandates to you know the allegations of misconduct uh, with with, this, with members of the school board and the superintendent. To the arrests, I mean, is do you think that there's this kind of groundswell that just keeps getting bigger and bigger? And do you feel that your elected officials, your your Republican congressmen, are doing enough to help? I mean, this this seems like a tremendous issue to me. So I can tell you that you know most of the parents, from my perspective, and um, and actually on on all sides, they just want to get back to learning. They just want their kids to go to school and learn the fundamentals um, and have a childhood. Um, they want they want the board to get away from these controversial issues and these um, distracting topics. But, you know, it seems to be what they spend their time on. Um, you know, the censor resolutions were a surprise. And obviously, somebody had to spend time putting those together. And why they were spending their time doing that and not looking at student outcomes yeah. and student board goals um, right. is just lost on me. And it, and it is dividing. I mean, this is very dividing. We've had so many people that, you know, and even I think Dustin Clark is the one that says this. He's, you know, he's like, I woke up and he's, you know, and it's waking up other people. And um, so it, it's kind of interesting to watch from my perspective is that we just gain more and more people that are waking up and noticing because they're asking questions. And when they see there's actually substance, like what you're asking, and that there's actually substance behind some of these issues. Um, that this isn't, you know, just two rogue trustees making up <laughs> lies, um, you know, that dads really did spend a night in jail, um, that their arrest warrants were issued by, you know, the school district. Um, just, and, that, and the, just that sentence, arrest warrants issued by the school district. 
sure. <laughs> and 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 honestly, I mean, yeah, it's um, and I we talked about this I think before this started though. I think there's a connection here, and I think this is really important for people to hear, is that those two dads they arrested them. Um, those are both. I mean, Dustin Clark lives around the corner from me, so I mean, he lives in my neighborhood. He lives close. Um, you know, Jeremy's story I don't know as well, but these are dads that, for one thing, they live in our community. And for two, they they did appear to align and be leaders um, with people that supported us. And even the other trustees will call them our supporters. And I just want to make the connection here that, you know, they were arrested on a Friday night and on a Saturday, we were handed censure resolutions. And if you talk to other trustees, you will find that this is a common practice and it has been for a long time, is that it's really just to get us to resign. The real goal here is to, you know, even with the arrest of the dads, part of this, I fully believe, is to get us to resign. It's to yeah. get Trustee Weston and I to just resign or to be removed. Um, there is a process in Texas to remove trustees from, from a school board. And if they have broken laws, that you can possibly get them uh, removed. And so. So the, the censures are, they're officially delivered to you on the 20th. But they're you said they're posted and available for you to see on the sixteenth. Yeah, right? so they were they were posted. They changed the agenda on the sixteenth. There was already an agenda for a meeting the following week that was posted, and um, yes, on the same day that those dads are let out of jail, they posted on that agenda that there was these censure resolutions, um, and then we immediately asked for those censure resolutions, and um, that was on Saturday, and then they provided the the actual resolution to us on Monday. So and then just, we actually go ahead. I was gonna say, then we actually were able to obtain a restraining order um, right. from a judge that said that those censure resolutions, because there's a process to get a censure, and especially the type of censure they were getting to us, there's a sanction process, and it's a four step process. And the first step is actually just to talk to the trustees in closed session and, and kind of tell them what they're doing wrong. Um, and again, that's the very first step. We were never given that first step, and we they went sta uh, straight to step four. And then um, in the resolution, what they were trying to do to us, they were trying to take away our ability to go on campuses other than for our own children. Um, they were trying to take away that the district would pay for any, you know, anything that we needed as a trustee that they wouldn't pay for it. Um, they, they were very harsh. Um, central resolutions are usually kind of a slap on the wrist. Um, in the central resolution, they also were saying that somehow we broke uh, the U.S. Constitution, the, the Constitution of Texas, which um, yeah, we still don't know, you know, exactly the situations they're talking about, but I mean, these were very severe allegations and very severe punishments. Um, so not your typical censure resolutions either. And again, we can't point back to what, you know, what they're even talking about. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're right to be suspicious of the timing at the same time that you and Danielle Weston are basically told to resign because like you said these are not only unusually harsh uh resolutions but they they also they're they're unorthodox they don't actually follow the process that these people are supposed to abide by right uh so it's really it seems very uh political in other words and at the same time that you have that happening you have these two people that are basically community leaders and organizers uh and i mean look reading this story my 
take from the arrests is that this was sending a message to two people that had been causing problems for the school. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to send the cops to your house because, again, a warrant instead of a citation for being disorderly, that's extreme. Like, all, none of that even makes sense. Uh, and I think there, uh, most outlets that reported on on a local level noted it was extremely odd for this to be uh, something that uh, required a warrant instead of just like basically be like, oh, normally this would be something like a traffic ticket, right? You were disorderly. Uh, you didn't ask when you were, uh, you didn't leave when you were asked. So we're going to fine you or something. But the arrest and all that stuff, I mean, to me, this is like sending a message on the one hand to community leaders and on the other hand to uh, people on the board who are seen as kind of allies to those community leaders. So no, so I think you're, it's totally justified to suspect that this is like a, a, a term would be decapitation. It's where you target the leaders of a movement uh, in, in order to kill the movement or to, to cripple it is you, you take out the, the community organizers or the people that are embedded in the institutions. So I, no, I, I don't think it's paranoid to suspect that at all. Seems, right, and if you uh, and if you took out them, then you would, you know, I think the goal was then to take the support away from us. Yes, and to, no, and I to think leave that's it, right, and to yeah. leave us alone. Yeah, and, no, I, um, that's totally right. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's, that, it's scary. Go ahead, sorry. Well, and and we just had, I mean, if you go back, it would be interesting to to look, but you know, just north of us in Leander, where there's been some controversy about books, um, there was just yes. recently one of the trustees resigned. I believe that's just been a month or two ago that, um, and I believe it was a conservative trustee, you know, resigned from the board. Um, Over a like left-wing book or was this a conservative? What well, was so this was, I mean, Leander's had different controversies going on. <laughs> um, so I'm really, I'm not for sure. I haven't talked to this okay. trustee, but, but it's just a pattern that you watch and you see people just silently go in the night um, and they just disappear off these boards and they resign. Um, and lots mm -hmm. of people may not realize that when a trustee resigns that the board actually um, does have the ability to fill that position sometimes if there's not an election coming up. So right. then they get they get to fill that board with somebody that they want. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think the problem with Trustee Weston and I is, you know, we, we're just trying to do our job. Yeah. We're just trying to stand up for the kids. We're trying to follow the rules. We're trying to follow the law, the policies and the procedures. And, um, you know, in every step of the way, uh, you know, we just, you know, you know, we kind of feel like, I, I mean, I can't speak for Trustee Weston, but I, I feel like we're attacked. And I do feel in this, you know, especially with the two dads, just because they were, you know, people. And even like I said, the other trustees called them our supporters. I mean, that's what they called them. So that's yeah. not that's not me. And so, you know, you know, our supporters are arrested. Um, and like you did say, I, I will clarify, too, the the gel was not taking uh, misdemeanors. Um, I right. actually. I actually heard that from the the jail attendee at the the front desk the following morning. He he said, you know, he was asking, you know, why are these men in here? Because we're not taking misdemeanors. So that was incredible. It, it was it was incredible to to watch, and you know, there is a lot to that story that I would like to to understand. Um, yeah. Well, I, I plan on going like, back to it because as you're as you're talking, I'm like I'm silently taking notes of how I need to do a follow up on this story because. Uh, I, I didn't. I spoke to Danielle when I wrote that article, but I, I didn't talk to you, unfortunately. Um, but now I'm going to because there, there's so many small details to this that when you put them together, it the, the bigger picture comes into view. And that small detail of you hearing from someone at the jail ask, "Why are we holding these people? We're not holding misdemeanors. Why are they here?" 
that's incredible. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, hearing it with my own ears was important. Yeah. And, and seeing it. Yeah. Well, so, it, it's incredible. Uh, you and what what I was saying earlier is that the the point of those arrests is to scare people and to not uh, standing up for themselves or uh, being supporters of people like you and Danielle. So uh, it is extremely commendable that you and Danielle are doing this and you're you're putting yourselves, uh, your your families, uh, at risk here because I mean ultimately it seems like the the point of these um these resolutions, if not to scare you into resigning, it's to, it's to get you to engage in these like protracted legal battles that are extremely costly. I know that Danielle has talked about this. You're, you're, are you going through this as well? So, yeah. So I actually, I hired an attorney very early on just because mm. of the, the work I do and, and some of the issues I saw on the board where I didn't think we were following policy and possibly laws. And so I've had my own attorney for a while. And when the censure resolution started, uh, Trustee Weston uh, came on board and actually we we have an attorney together and it is very costly. Um, but I will add, there's there's a little caveat to this whole thing too, is that most people don't know, and I, I don't know if you know, but even prior to the censure resolutions, we felt that the, the that somebody was using the lawyers in the situation um, because we, Danielle and I received, I believe it was August 26th, we received a very interesting letter from the, the lawyers inside of the district. Um, and it was very vague, but it was very accusing us of very vague wrongdoing. And, and when we asked for specifics, um, to this day, we, we haven't got specifics. Um, so it's, it's very interesting and it was very uncalled for. Um, it was not professional. I, you know, and it's not common for lawyers just to create things and, and give them without being asked. Um, and it, like, like I said, it was very vague. So, um, you know, the, the kind of warfare that's going on here is, is not typical. Um, yeah. and like I said, I mean, there's, there's a lot of backstory to this that, that people don't see because it's kind of internal, but yeah, so we've been fighting, that's all to say, we've been fighting, you know, kind of in the background using lawyers and legal fees for a while now, but yes, we, we do have an attorney, um, that's trying to walk us through this process and, um, and we're not professional politicians, right? Like when we started this interview, yeah. I, I don't know what I, what can I say, what I cannot say, but you know what we're what we're trying to do is get the word out, and we're trying to tell parents, and we're trying to give courage to other people to stand up, and you know don't yeah. leave the boards, don't you know, you know you do what you think is right. Um, you know we're all on this planet of Earth together, so we've all got to learn how to live together and and not force each other off of boards that we're elected to, um, even if we are the minority. Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, if you give up ground in places like your your kids' school, uh, in the end, there'll be no ground to run to, because one of the most common responses to the kind of stuff that you're going through is, and it's totally understandable, parents will simply take their kids and move and and put them in a different school system or they'll homeschool. Both of those things are understandable. For people that don't want to deal with this stuff but ultimately if you don't plant your feet and take a stand at some point you're going to wake up and there'll be nowhere left to run to and you hear this all the time right when people say like you know 10 years ago that was a really cool school district or something like that and it's like huh it's very odd right how we can keep every every 10 years another school district becomes a bad one it's it's precisely because of this because and again it's it's understandable the desire for people with kids that are busy 
and have lives of their own to not want to engage in politics over something like their children's education, right? That's that's it's it's something that uh, we don't want. We just simply don't want to deal with as parents. But unfortunately, we have to because yeah, yeah we just have to. Well, and I'll back up with what you said. And actually, I guess one of the reasons that I've stayed in and fought is because we've actually moved school districts. We actually, mm. just like Trustee Weston, we we specifically moved to Round Rock for the schools. Um, and and it was because we'd you know been in other educational institutions and they just weren't meeting the needs of our students that our personal kids. So yeah. when we moved to Round Rock, I, it kind of goes along with what you said. We had nowhere else to go. Um, where, where else do we go? This is happening everywhere. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we stayed and you know, we really believe we can make a difference. Um, we just need to get the priorities, you know, straight and um, kind of get everybody on the same page here. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you you have an incredible story from from your background uh, to your education to what you and Danielle Weston are doing in Texas. Uh, this is this is an important story because if it can happen in Texas, it can happen anywhere. And it's not just happening in Texas. I think this is probably the worst story that I've heard with regards to what a school district is up to, and it's hard, and it's happening, you know, deep in the heart of Texas, as they say. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they help you? Where can they keep up with your media stuff, uh, with with any fundraising that you might be doing? I've got your website here at drbone for rrisd dot drmarybone.com. Is that the best place? Yep. If they go there, they'll they'll find all the information, um, and there's a, a place to donate there. And we just appreciate you shedding light on this. So again, I mean, our goal of this whole thing is just, you know, to get back focusing on the students. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm happy to help. Uh, unlike you, I don't have a, a a degree in something useful, so I, I I have to at least make myself useful to people like you. Uh, and I'm I'm definitely going to be coming back to this story because I I think that the more uh, as I talk to you and Danielle and Justin and Jeremy, uh, hopefully I get all four of you on. Uh, I'm sure that by the end of it, I will be um, I'll be full of rage and feeling the need to to write a follow up because yeah, there's there's so much to this that that needs to be reported, um, but it's it's all it all comes out kind of piecemeal. Uh, you'll you'll hear like you know rumors from someone that you talk to or like a local report. And it, again, it's not until you put all of these different accounts together that you see this big, uh, horrific picture. Uh, but people like you are doing something about it. People yeah. like and I, I, and I would tell you that is by design. I mean, I, I fully believe it's by design that they don't want you to see the whole picture. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. I mean, when I showed the story that I wrote about, you know, the kind of getting this this whole thing going, um, the, the the reaction I got was disbelief. Or people would like ask me like, really? Like a, a police department? Do you mean like a school safety officer? I was like, no, they, they actually seem to have like a fleet of cars and like a whole squad of uniformed officers. And yes, these, these parents, that's not hyperbole. They were actually arrested at their homes and kept in a jail like criminals. And like, I, I had to kind of walk people through each part of the story because it was just, to them, it was just absurd. Uh, because yeah, like, like you said, they, they just don't hear about this. And it's certainly not in Texas, right? Right, especially Williamson County. I mean, we are a very red county. Um, and you did ask earlier about, you know, elected officials, other ones. And it has been very interesting to watch many elected officials just not help us. 
And you know, we've I'm been glad you brought this up. Yeah, we've Go been ahead. called a dumpster fire, and we've been called a political hot potato. Who, and all I know, doesn't? so you know, these are just you know different you know friends of politicians, or you know, kind of through the rumor mill that this is what we are, and it's um, but it's through the political realms, right? This is what you know. Texas Republicans. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Texas yeah. Republicans. And, you know, we've asked, I mean, we've, we've asked for help. We've asked for help. Um, and all we're asking for is just to get our, you know, to get in line with laws, policy procedures and get focused back on education. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what's wrong with that. Like if somebody can tell me, Hey Mary, quit running by laws, quit running by policy, quit running by procedure. And yeah, don't put the students first. I, I mean, I'd be happy to, you know, step off, but you know, last I checked, that's what people want. People want, you know, <laughs> us to be following laws, policies, procedures, and focusing on the students. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that you didn't let me end uh, without talking about the Texas GOP. I apologize if you can hear my uh, my toddler in the background. But oh, this I'm is used a, to this, it. This is a podcast about parenting, so uh, <laughs> so there you go. It's very authentic, and I'll have another one on the way any day now. <laughs> um, but Congratulations. anyway. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I'm no, I'm glad that you did not let me end without coming back to the Republican Party question because critical race theory, gender ideology in schools, these are hot button issues for all the right reasons. But the problem is, is, is that although the Republican Party is kind of cashing in on this stuff, basically the crazy stuff that's going on at schools. Although they're cashing in on it and even winning elections on it, like you saw uh, with with Glenn Youngkin, uh, it's not clear. And in fact, I doubt it's going to be the case that these electoral victories, the the Republican Party fundraising, is actually going to translate into them dumping all of their political capital into helping parents like you in turn. Instead, I think you get basically just TV segments where you know some politician says, like, gives a hot take on on television. And then uh, they go back to their life in Texas and they call parents like you a dumpster fire. And that is infuriating to me because, because yes, the Democratic Party is, is a problem and they're crazy and they do a bunch of you know, in increasingly absurd things. But the only reason they do that stuff and the only reason that the, the ideas that we associate with progressivism with the Democratic Party get into schools and communities where people like you live is precisely because there is no real opposition from the Republican Party. They're happy to fundraise using like your face and your issue, but then they don't actually help you. Is that right? I mean, this is this is my view, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I can give you my view. I mean, so I'm not a politician. As I mentioned, I have a PhD in engineering. I have no, I've really had no desire to ever go into politics. And, um, and school boards in Texas are not, um, they're not political necessarily. You're not an RRD. Um, so, you know, we don't put that beside our name. And so when we were running, I mean, obviously, um, Trustee Weston and I are both, you know, associated with the Republican Party because we're Republicans because, um, you know, we vote that way. But yeah. when we were running, we would go to meetings and, you know, you stand up and say what you're running for. And you're, you're exactly right. So many of the elected politicians that were there and so many of the ones that were trying to get elected at the same time we were would stand up and just, you know, say how excited they were to see that we were running. And they would say, you know, that, you know, you know, we got to really focus on the school boards and we got to help the school boards. And, you know, it was actually really nice, you know, when we were running yeah. and then we get on yeah. and, um, 
and then things started happening and you know sometimes we just had questions can you answer this question or can you you know do this or can you do that and you know people started distancing themselves from us in our own in our own party and and actually our own party didn't help us it was kind of interesting there was other republicans that ran against us that were not actually as strong uh republicans as we were and they actually didn't help us which you know again we were like whatever fine uh, because again we were kind of like we're not associating ourselves with a party so it's okay yeah. but once we get elected we're you know we're like where are you guys at like where you know why are you guys not speaking out about these issues why are you not speaking out about mask why are you not speaking out um and, what, and one thing you haven't mentioned is that so in texas the governor actually has said that you can't have a mask mandate there's something called ga38 and mm. our district um the other five trustees have actually voted to actually go against the governor's order and actually mandate masks. And the attorney general actually filed suit against Round Rock ISD and that's all still going on. Um, but we, we were just asking, you know, where is everybody? Where, you know, where's yeah. the county? Where, where is everybody? Um, and, you know, they would maybe write a letter here or there or do this or that. But as for coming and standing up with us, um, you know, there's only been one elected official that I know of that's actually came to a board meeting and, and spoke. And, you know, that was our constable for yeah. our, you know, yeah. Not so, someone who's regularly on like Fox News or something like that and has a huge platform that they could help you with uh, if they were willing to actually lend it to you. So right. was this separate from the uh, the Texas Education Agency's guidelines? So the Texas Education Agency guidelines actually come from the governor, right? So the, right. the commissioner works for the governor. Yeah. And so um, when he actually, when the mask mandate was in place, so, you know, Texas was one of the states that had a mask mandate. When that was in place, TEA, which is our Texas Education Agency, they actually put that into place also. And then when the governor said, okay, you can't have masks now. So he said, you can't have a mask mandate. Then they put that in place but so their regulations is because of the governor's regulations yeah but the interesting thing about the texas education agency which again the commissioner is um appointed by the governor which is a republican governor um they're not necessarily enforcing it so mm. there's no consequences and this is what we're finding um and yeah. this is what this is kind of the this is the secret so i don't know if i'll have people show up at my door because i'm telling you the, the secret that we have found oh, no. is that even though there's all these laws and policies there's no consequences like for the texas open meetings act if you yeah. don't follow it there's no there doesn't seem to be any consequences um and so you know why why not wow. if you you know with the mass mandate you know tea you know has a policy right but there's you're not there's no consequences if your district yeah. says no. So, you know, without consequences, you're kind of seeing what happens. <laughs> yeah, this is why I chose uh, the Texas Potemkin Village of Conservatism for the headline of my article, because it's exactly it's exactly what it sounds like. You know, these these initiatives or these um, the, these reverse mandates by Abbott, you know, no more masks or whatever. They capture headlines and then, you know, the New York Times runs a story about how Greg Abbott is like a dictator and like hard right and an authoritarian. But then I talk to people like you in Texas and you're just like, no, actually, uh, there's no consequences for people uh, violating, you know, what, what Greg Abbott sets down as a guideline or whatever, or, you know, even for, for this stuff, like the, the, the school board using police officers to keep people out of a meeting where they're talking about raising taxes in the community. There's no consequences for that. 
it, it, even this 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 stuff about the the parents being arrested and the school the school district issuing a warrant there's no consequences for this like it's just it's totally insane to me uh that this is just happening and people are getting away with it and the most that i've seen from republicans is strongly worded letters and and pronouncements that there may or may not be an investigation uh and that pronounce and that announcement is usually uh, accompanied with like a strongly worded letter and that's it right. and this is in texas again this is supposed to be you know the heart of conservatism in the united states and under the texas under the the current texas gop it's just a, um it, it's just a paint job it's not real and and in fact it's it seems like anything good that happens in your state is uh directly the result of parent grassroots activism often against uh your own party because they're not helping you <laughs> yeah i mean sometimes i mean sometimes we say it i mean or i do i mean sometimes i feel like you know i'm taking arrows from the front and the back so yeah. it's it and it's it's a weird position to be in yeah um, but it's important to talk about this because again uh we we don't talk about this problem enough that the fact that the republican party is not helping its constituents and instead i think I think they want you to focus on, uh, they want the attention to be on like the crazy stuff that people in school districts are doing, not on the fact that they're allowing it to happen. You know, like th this is only possible in a Republican controlled, in a Republican controlled state because Republicans are allowing it to happen. So. Right, right. They're not really looking at how to solve the problems. And, and yeah. that's where I come from. I mean, I'm a systems engineer. If you go look at what we do, I, I solve problems in big systems. Yeah. And so that's what's been hard for me is that you're you're right. They they just want you to you know to kind of see the outside of it and not really drive down and actually fix the the problem. Yes. Yeah. And lots I of just, times and I mean honestly people, you know, you should follow the money. It's always follow the money. Um you know and see who's making money off of these different topics and and these different issues and 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 that and that's what we've seen locally yeah. that's what we've seen locally you know there's people making money off of this somehow um are having you know people on the board that will just pass things and not really dig into things and so you know they don't want they don't want solutions <laughs> yeah just, no i think that's right i think there's um there's a lot of different hands that truly that corruption is bipartisan right <laughs> corruption and uh misconduct it's it's probably one of the only truly bipartisan things in the united states uh that at the end of the day um like money is green and we can all agree on that or i should say like all the bad actors can agree on that and uh on the one hand you can make money by fundraising on the outrage of that this stuff creates you know the crazy headlines and then going on tv and talking about it so that that's great for your for your coffers and on the other hand, there, in some cases, there are, you know, direct, there is an exchange going on, you know, uh, a politician is beholden to some kind of a donor and the donor doesn't want them to get involved in the kind of polit in, in the kind of school politics that you're involved in. And so long as they don't, then, you know, there is a, a kind of exchange that goes on. I think that the stuff is totally, it's, it's, it's actually the most corrupting, corruptive influence in our politics. Uh, but it's also the one that we don't really look at enough. We we get so caught up again with the the politics of outrage, and uh, the 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 soapboxing and the grandstanding 
that we don't actually look at things like money. Right. Well, and I, and you can, I mean, that comes back to, you know, all these books and schools that, that parents have been finding. It's like, you know, don't look at the books, go look at the policy. How did those books get there? Yeah. What are the consequences? What are the consequences for those books getting there? How do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Yeah. And that's where, sorry, go ahead. That's just where we need to focus. I mean, because we yeah, need no, right. we need these policies in place, you know, for the future. Yeah, I I saw a story while I was writing my story, talking to Danielle about how parents want uh, librarians and school administrators who are responsible for these books in schools to be held accountable. Uh, to, somehow, we, we, they want these people punished, and I think that's totally correct because basically, in, in this example that we're using, the books the excuse is, well, we didn't actually read it. We just bought it because it's like a New York Times bestseller. Uh, and nobody actually cared to open the book and see that there was like hardcore pornography inside of it. And sorry, we put it at two middle schools in Texas. It's like, you, no, you don't actually just get to say sorry and then do it again. You know, uh, people should be held accountable for this. But again, that actually holding people accountable is the thing that the GOP never actually wants to do about their opponents. And I've written about this uh, kind of related uh, is, is the, the issue of progressive prosecutors, people that use their positions in law enforcement to allow like a murderers, rapists, whatever, people to, to I, I should not say murderers, but uh, the recent thing in Waukesha, Wisconsin, right? In July, 2020, uh, Daryl Brooks, the guy that drove his car into a Christmas parade in Wisconsin, shot someone, he shot his nephew in a fight over an old cell phone, and he got out on $500 bail. And then just days before he killed six people in Wisconsin, he actually tried to run a woman over after he punched her, and he got out on $1,000 bail. And then a week later, he goes and kills six people. And that, that was not an accident. That was a direct result of the policies of, of a prosecutor's office who even bragged in 2007, people will die as a result of my policies, but it's worth it because this is the price of progress. Republicans love to talk about that stuff, right? How Democrats are like pro-crime. But then when you ask them, well, why don't we bring charges against those prosecutors for endangering the public? They don't actually want to do anything. And in fact, the only the only prosecutor that has been punished by the by Republicans was actually a conservative prosecutor in Georgia recently that they prosecuted for uh, basically they accused her of favoring Ahmad Arbery in the in this or his killers in this trial. Uh, so that's it's a, that's over here on a kind of tangent, but it's actually the same problem that you have in places like Texas, where you you have this this repeat issue of these like insane books ending up in middle schools, and no one is held accountable for it, and there's certainly no policy introduced to make sure that. Uh, that the the ideology or the pol- the the administrative uh, problems that are kind of perpetuating this uh, are never solved, because that's hard, right? Like you said, like you're you're a systems person, so you believe in getting your hands dirty and coming up with a, a solution and then implementing it. Uh, that's not actually what politicians do in the United States. So. Yeah, finding the root problems and, and fixing them would be very very helpful. And and I guess the other thing is that I've been surprised about is that. You know, when I, I do believe, if you go back 25 years, that there was more respect for staying out of keeping the politics out of our schools and keeping the cronyism out of our schools. 
and you know some of the stuff that you're talking about that may have happened at the county level to keep that out of our schools and there was a there was a um, sense of protecting children and i yeah. do feel like that is slowly going away or has gone away because i don't yeah. see it in fact now i see everybody's you know trying to get their hand into the you know to the 400 and you know 60 million dollars that our school district has and yeah. you know it's you know, and it goes back to a few years ago, I saw a case where, you know, there was like seven and a half million dollars stolen from a school district. It's not too far from here. And, you know, I think the most that was done was, you know, I think some people finally got in trouble after like four years, but, you know, they just had to pay it back. But it wasn't, you know, you know, that was seven seven point five million dollars stolen from children. Yeah. And we just don't look at it that way. Um, yep. And, and no, I think we need to get back to that. Yeah, I know. Um it both basically mean I, I, I'm not a both sideser. I obviously think that one side is is out of their minds, and the problem with the other side is that they don't do anything about it. Uh, but it, but it's certainly true that basically your elected officials, Republican or Democrat, largely seem more concerned with kind of talking about kids and education and family values more than they are doing anything about it. If you believe in family values, then why are you not doing something about the problems that we're discussing uh, that we've discussed for the last hour? Right. This is this is family values that we're talking. Families being terrorized by by the people that they entrust their children to for a good part of the day, and like parents being afraid of what their kids are going to be exposed to at school, and then being afraid that they might get arrested for taking a stand by these people. I mean. This this is as family values as it gets. So where where's the help? Right. And we've been asking that. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, and I've probably been more vocal than Danielle has about that because I'm like, where where is the help? I expected the help. Um, you know, where is the help? I mean, all the way down the line, you know, from the governor on down. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, most great. people that are listening may not know, but we we literally set maybe 20 miles from the Capitol right here, where I sit yeah. right now in my house. I'm maybe I don't even know if it's 20 miles. We're just north of Austin. Yeah. Many people that work at the Capitol live in our district. Where's the help? And yeah. if we can't get the help, I can't imagine somebody, you know, in, you know, East or West Texas. I mean, Texas is a big state. I mean, we're right here. It's on the news here. Yeah. No, there's there's no excuse. And it's not like Greg Abbott is not aware of this stuff. The, uh, this is happening under his nose in his agencies. Um, it's just that he... Uh, again, the, the the hype about Greg Abbott becoming hard right or something like that is just it's it's hype. It's the New York Times uh, fan fiction, yeah. or I should say, like the New York Times horror porn is what I like to call it. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Greg, people would be yeah. I think people would be surprised though, that it even goes to even our county judge. Yeah. You know, that's super local. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get any more local than that, really. And our commissioners. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a whole other story. But I mean, you know, the reason we have a Round Rock ISD police can almost be directly tied back to the, the county yeah. um, commissioner's court. Um, yeah. So, you know, where where are these elected officials, you know, to support the children? Um, they sure like to tell us that they're that's why they're there. But, yeah. you know, and maybe they don't need to, you know, maybe they don't know how to help. But, you know, they obviously don't reach out to us and ask us how, well, how they, they have, can help. Yeah. I mean, th yeah, they can ask. They can at least ask. And it's certainly... Uh, people Have that a conversation. are yeah yeah but that's uh even that's too much right we don't want to uh, associate with people like you who are fighting for for your kids rights right totally well, they don't and they don't want us doing this kind of stuff right yeah you know 
it's amazing when, um, you know, Danielle's been much more vocal than I have, but it's amazing after she does an interview or something will be somebody that we haven't heard of all of a sudden we'll contact her. And it's like, really, now you're going to contact me and tell me I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have done that. Um, and honestly, we're just desperate and we're fighting for our kids. And Danielle and I are both, you know, she's captain Weston. I mean, she's a U.S. air force captain. I have a PhD in engineering. It's not easy. So, I mean, yeah. we're two ladies that aren't going to back down. We want what's best for our children and for the children of, you know, those in our community that, you know, have values that are similar to ours, which is just parental rights and getting back to basic fundamental education so that our students can go to college and get STEM degrees. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, you should not listen to anyone who's telling you that you're rocking the boat too hard or that you, you know, that. Uh, you should trust the process or trust the system. Like you're always going to have, I even, I, I have that too, as, as a investigative reporter, people will tell me that, you know, I should use like a softer hammer against so-and-so. Uh, and my answer is no. Uh, if they don't like the hard hammer, then they should change and do things differently and come up with solutions for these problems that they're aware of, but aren't doing anything about. So no, you, you, and, you and Danielle are taking the right approach. Well, and people should realize that we're fighting for children. This isn't about yeah. us. You know, this, I don't, I, yeah. I'm not actually talking to you because this is about me. Otherwise, I mean, I have a lot of other things to do, right? Yeah. I'm on here because I really feel that there's a lot of children in Round Rock ISD that need a voice. Their yeah. parents need a voice yeah. and they need to be heard and they need help. You know, yeah. they just want stability. COVID was hard enough. Like, let's get away from all this craziness and let's get back to focusing on children and focusing on getting education. Cause you know, one thing we haven't even talked about here, but you know, we're setting board goals. And right now I have issues with our board goals because we have categories of children that, um, you know, 38% of a certain category reading on grade level. How is that okay? I, I am so thankful that when I was a kid that people didn't say, oh, that poor little Mary that, you know, we don't care if she reads on grade level. You know, people didn't say that when I was growing up. So, you know, I'm here to fight for those kids. I'm not good. 38% of a certain population reading on grade level or doing math on grade level is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In every conceivable way, uh, schools are failing our kids, not just in education, but also obviously um, in the way that they are being, in the way that they're being uh, indoctrinated into these radical ideas of race and gender and the way that their their development as members of society is being hindered by these insane uh ironically anti-science uh covid uh policies right like it's just in really that's not an exaggeration in every conceivable way these people are failing and they need to be held accountable uh and i i really appreciate what you and danielle are doing so thank you for some light on this yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I've I've got to attend to my own uh, uh, toddler who's raging about the house right now. Um, Enjoy this but, time with them; they grow up way too fast. Yeah, yeah. I, I am. I truly. He, he is growing up very fast. It's, it's crazy to look at pictures from just like a year ago to now. He's a year and a half. Um, Wait till they're like sixteen, and you're like, "What? Where did what happened?" Yeah, I'm. I'm dread. I'm dreading that because. It's People hard. told me that about high school, like it's going to go by fast. And I was like, no, it's not. The four years are not going to go by fast. And then it did. So I'm imagining that something very similar is going to happen with my, with my kids. Like, no, yeah. 16 years doesn't go by fast. And then you wake up and it's like, yeah. you're 16. So that's where we're at. And it does. It goes by fast. So enjoy it. 
I will. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Mary. Uh, you can find Mary at Dr. Bone, the number four, R-R-I-S-D dot drmarybone.com. Uh, go there. You can donate to her cause. You can see her media appearances, uh, support her and her cause. All right. We'll okay. catch you guys on the next episode of Discourses. Mary, thank you so much. Take care.